0: Today's sponsor for TFE is brought to you by Amazon's Audible.com service, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audibletrial.com slash TFE radio. Welcome back everybody to TFE Radio Wrestling, episode 6 for Saturday, December 5th, 2020. I'm your humble host and narrator, James Strength Navarro. The Death of a Legend, The Return of an Icon, and The New Invasion is the title of this this particular episode. I once again want to thank you all for joining us here this week. We have a lot to get to, a lot to unpack and of course, before I begin, I want to say thank you once again for joining us this week as you have all the other weeks for all your support, for downloading the show, for sharing it, liking all the positive feedback, of course, your donations, monetary donations, joining me on social media. I've had some interesting uh, f- new followers on Instagram in particular, uh, thankfully all retaining and perta- retaining pertaining to the wrestling business, of course i very, very delighted to have you all join me here again this week. Unfortunately, we start this week with some bad news. The death of a legend portion of this particular episode. As WWE Hall of Famer, Pat Patterson has passed away. Patterson had passed away three days ago on December 2nd in Miami, Florida. He had been um, admitted to hospital uh Due to, um, due to having uh, complications of cancer, but the actual cause of his death, and I'll just clear this up right now, because originally when I found out the news, I posted on social media that he had passed away due to cancer. Now, you could say that maybe that was still accurate in some regard, but the official cause of death of Mr. Patterson is that he passed away due to cancer. Uh, a blood clot and which ultimately caused liver failure so due to a blood clot he died of liver failure more accurately but as we get into Pat's just incredibly extensive career in the wrestling business Pat is going to be sorely missed by everybody that he was ever able to impact in a positive way. He definitely left the wrestling business a much better place with his presence. He was considered one of the greatest workers of all time, along with one of the greatest minds of all time. Pat was, you know, just to give you a brief synopsis of his career, he was the originator and the creator. It was his baby of the WWF slash WWE Royal Rumble concept, the Royal Rumble match itself. And one of his proudest moments was not only the creation of the Royal Rumble, but also the 1992 Royal Rumble, which like many of us, including myself, yours truly, thought that the WWF Royal Rumble in 1992, the night that Ric Flair lasted 63 minutes in the Rumble and became the World Heavyweight Champion, That was considered one of his proudest moments. He laid out great matches, some of the legendary matches throughout the company's history, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania six. He tells a story about how Warrior was crying in the dressing room as he came in, and he talked to Warrior and he saw that Warrior was just absolutely elated and overjoyed and overcome with just happiness and tears as he had reached the pinnacle of his career at that moment. Only been in on the business for about five or six years and here he cleanly defeats Hulk Hogan. Patterson tells that particular story. He was also the layout man, the finish man for the Hogan Andre WrestleMania 3 match at Pontiac Silverdome in eighty seven. Of course, and I'm just naming a few. He was the layout man, he was the, the 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 finish man, considered the greatest finish man in the business, and I will not disagree with that. By the way, Pat will be the focal point of our throwback match of the week at the end of this show, just to let you know. But let's get back to some of the finishes that he has been a part of, some of the big uh, famous finishes that you may know about. that You may obviously remember, not only was he the layout man for the Hogan-Andre match at WrestleMania three, but also the Bret Shawn Michaels match at WrestleMania twelve in the Iron Man Challenge back in two, uh, 1996. Uh, He was also a part of basically the entire run that The Rock was a part of WWE and his uh, from his very beginnings because uh, from those of you uh, older wrestling fans, you will remember that Pat Patterson was in fact a tag team partner of Rock's father, uh, uh, Rocky Johnson. And when Pat first saw, after being told by Rock, uh, Rocky Johnson, you could say the, the original Rock, Rocky Johnson, uh, had told them that you know my son wants to get into the business. Pat said, "Okay, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm basically I'm going to look out for him." And he brought um, he brought Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who would eventually become the Rock, to Vince McMahon's attention and said, "You know, we need to take a look at this kid. He's gonna he's gonna go very far. He's going to be the future of this business." And the rest was history. Pat is credited for being the, the man who basically was one of the biggest integral parts of why the WWE is as successful as it is today. It is a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company. The first multi-billion dollar publicly traded company that is a wrestling company. Pat is credited as being one of the top tier echelon minds of the business of all time one of the top workers of all time. He was a part of one of the greatest tag teams, one of my favorite personal tag teams of all time, because even though they were before my time, a lot of the stuff that they did came after, uh, Patterson in particular, came after I had already been born, of course, and I had seen his uh, footage of a lot of his stuff throughout his career. Pat was also the big figurehead of a lot of the Roy Shire San Francisco battle royals and matches and cards that were being held in the old cow Palace in San Francisco the legendary cow Palace Pat was also a part of as I was about to mention one of the greatest tag teams of all time that I was very 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 much a fan of and that was Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens along with their manager Bobby the brain heenan there's a clip in the AWA spectacular rise or spectacular Legacy however I, I'm I'm just paraphrasing the title. I can't remember the exact title. I believe that was the title. The AWA documentary that WWE had put out back in 1996. And during that particular documentary, you could hear the little sound bite, the little quick clip, video clip, that you see spliced in as they're going through the who's who of who has walked through the doors of the AWA earlier on or perhaps maybe about 10, 15 years into the business of AWA being in business for AWA. Patterson and Stevens is right there and it's a quick clip and Patterson is calling out the title of the tag team you know Patterson and Stevens and of course you know Patterson had been all over the place you know he was born in Montreal Canada but of course his greatest successes continued throughout the United States Japan everywhere he visited wherever he wrestled And of course, being one of the best workers in the business and also working with one of the greatest workers and the greatest manager of all time, Ray Stevens and Bobby Heenan, Pat became. Pat had some of the great workers around him to obviously really hone his craft. So, Pat, also, as we also know, not only one of the greatest minds of all time and having credited the creation of the WWF slash WWE Royal Rumble. Like I said, some of the greatest finishes that he had ever done, as I had made mention a moment ago. Pat was also brought in in the last few years after no longer working full-time with the company, brought in to lay out the finish, lay out the match of the Royal Rumble throughout the last few years as a consultant, and also laying out the spots and certain scenarios that would happen throughout each match. Of course, he was most proud of one of his biggest accomplishments in the Rumble creation, which was the 92 Royal Rumble, which I've spoken about being one of my favorite, being actually my favorite Rumble match of all time, when Ric Flair, once again, he had outlasted everyone drawing number three and winning the World Heavyweight Championship of the WWF being in there for 63 minutes. Now, of course, Pat is also being credited as the first ever WWF intercontinental heavyweight champion in the company's history. Now, many of you might know this, but he was actually gifted the title. He did not win in a this tournament that they're claiming that he won it in in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. There's no actual footage of this happening because it never actually took place. The way that the story goes is that as of September 1st, 1979, which our throwback match of the week actually goes back to September 24th of 1979. Pat Patterson was already declared the WWF Intercontinental Champion. The actual story goes as follows. Patterson became the first champion as a result of defeating Ted DiBiase to win the WWF North American Heavyweight Championship on June 19th, 1979 in Allentown, Pennsylvania and defeating Johnny Rods in a fictional tournament final in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil to unify the North American Heavyweight Championship with the fictional South American Heavyweight Championship to create the WWF Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. First mention of the Intercontinental title took place on the August 22, 1979 Championship Wrestling Program which aired August 25, 1979 in an interview after Patterson defeated Johnny Rivera. Pat was considered the part of the uh inner circle of Vince McMahon's management having created A lot of the success that Vince and the company would ultimately very much enjoy and ultimately the company becoming a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company was based off a lot of the ideas and creative input and consultation of Pat Patterson and his very genius mind. Now, mind you, Pat was also uh, an integral part in a lot of careers in the company. John Cena, The Rock... Steve Austin, Bret Hart, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, if they, if there was a Mount Rushmore of minds in the business, Pat Patterson would be on there. Years ago when I was starting to sort of put a, a rough launch, like a soft launch so to speak of TFE Navarro's notes, I had created this extensively like scroll worthy blog in which I talked about what TNA Wrestling could do in order to really, really take their company to the next level. This was back in 2012, I had put this together. And one of the things I said, and I did my research at the time, one of the things I said in this particular blog, I've now since deleted it. uh, I might be able to retrieve it somehow, I don't know how, but uh, I will figure it out. But anyhow, what the things that I had said was that, They need to get Pat Patterson, a part of TNA, part of TNA wrestling. He is one of the best minds, if not the greatest mind in the business. And they could benefit greatly from having him a part of the team. Because at the time, Pat was already done as a full-time employee of the WWE. He was such an integral part. I had nothing but respect for him. I never met the man personally, of course, but I obviously was a fan and supporter of what he did backstage and also what he was doing to present what we saw in the ring, in front of the camera. You know, some of my fondest memories and some of my fondest wrestling matches that I've ever enjoyed was because of Patterson and his very genius mind and some of the best matches and some of the biggest matches that we've ever seen. Now, it was cool to see that the WWE put out a tremendous, amazing, I think, in my estimation, the best tribute video that they could ever put out for any professional wrestler that they've lost, or even if they're celebrating them for the Hall of Fame. For Pat Patterson, they put out an incredible, incredible tribute, and they had the uh, original WWF Intercontinental Championship they had pulled out from their, uh, their archive their, their wherever they had pulled that out from as I know that they are still trying to work on uh, putting together a physical Hall of Fame which I believe uh, Shane McMahon is a big proponent of uh, so it was very nice to see that WWE pay tribute to one of their longest tenured employees and one of their greatest Minds ever, if not the greatest mind, uh, give or take a Paul Heyman or a Vince McMahon or, you know, what have you. Uh, Pat was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 20, excuse me, uh, 24 years ago, to be exact, in 1996. Uh, Bret Hart was the individual who inducted him into the Hall of Fame. And Pat wasn't without his controversies, of course. Uh, Pat was uh, let go from the company in the early 90s when his name, unfortunately, was brought up by superstar Billy Graham as a part of a sex scandal and uh, the ring boy scandal, as they also called it, that Pat was involved in inappropriate um, behavior backstage with certain individuals and individuals that were no longer with the company. Unfortunately, it sort of put a dark cloud over pat's name and of course the company itself at the time but all charges were dropped against pat from what i understand and pat ultimately was rehired back in the company mel phillips and terry garvin uh were never brought back to the company terry garvin ultimately would pass away i believe just to cancer and mel phillips basically was never involved in the business again uh pat continued on and even in his book that had come out not long ago a while ago actually had said that you know a lot has been said and he had never really spoke about this casting couch a part of the business that he was uh responsible for bringing in certain individuals if they were to do certain things with him mind you again in case i had not mentioned pat was openly gay he was the first openly gay superstar in the business and so He cleared that up in his book, and a passage in his book um, about his life and times and the business and in and out of the business. I had seen a documentary about him a number of years ago. Uh, I believe it was somewhere on YouTube I had seen it. And it was pretty interesting to see. Um, It wasn't a full documentary. Length documentary, but it was pretty interesting because it basically traced Pat's roots back to when he grew up in Montreal, Canada, and all the way through where he eventually made his way to Japan and San Francisco, wrestling for Roy Shire, where he picked up and and started to uh, enhance the idea and the concept of the original battle royal in which Pat was a part of many many times. He was also a main eventer in San Francisco. He was a main eventer basically anywhere he went. He had wrestled everywhere. This is where the territories was alive and thriving. And of course, we know that he would ultimately have some of his best matches in the WWF and early on in his career wrestling for the WWF, then known... At that time, as that, and then ultimately the WWF later on. Some of his best matches I remember seeing, because again, when you watch some of these old Coliseum Home videos from the WWF at the time in the early 80s, mid 80s, they would splice in a lot of matches that were coming from years before when Vince really, before Vince had really taken over. Vince Jr. had really taken over from his father and Capital Wrestling had then turned into Titan Sports. Pat Patterson was involved in some of the best matches I had ever seen, some of the most brutal matches. And best worked, and it goes to show you how much of a great worker he was when he would be a part of those original boot camp matches with Sergeant Slaughter in 1981. You know, in and, and, and around that time, and a lot of those matches that they had. Uh, were in Madison Square Garden and sold out crowds and Pat was a main eventer as I said everywhere he went and he was a top star and he was one of the greatest minds one of the greatest Finnish guys of all time if you've seen all the tributes that have come from all his contemporaries all his colleagues throughout this is the best Finnish man he was a great karaoke singer he loved singing Frank Sinatra's My Way which if you also remember they used Pat Patterson, just to tie this in together, Pat was a huge fan of My Way by Frank Sinatra. Not the Limp Bizkit version, but Frank Sinatra's version, the one that I actually love very, very much and I would ultimately hope would be used for when the casket drops for me. Pat would use that song. I don't know if it was because of his... Uh, his love for the song at the time but when Roddy Roddy Piper was uh, on the brink of his semi-retirement as he was about to actually go to Hollywood to film ultimately we would find out John Carpenter's They Live in 1988 it would eventually come out Piper had gone away when they played a tribute video for him when they did an interview segment on Saturday Night's Main Event Uh, I believe in early 87 just before Piper was about to embark on his Hollywood film career after taking some time off from WWF and obviously his last match was supposed to be his retirement match quote unquote with adorable Adrian Adonis and the haircut match. They had that tribute and the song and the video package of Piper's career in the business in the WWF at that time. He was there for about roughly two and a half, three years already. He started in about late 84 in WWF. And they had played my way, Frank Sinatra's my way, to this Roddy Piper tribute. So also, Pat was at ringside. He got down on one of the steps because this is where... They had the big uh, ring cart that used to bring all the wrestlers to and from the ring. Now remember, Pat was right there. You could see him in his suit and his tie, you know, with the 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 fluffy blonde hair and everything. And he gets down onto one of the steps, and he Mm. just he shakes the hand of Roddy Piper, and they have like a very hearty shake. And it was, you know, it was a nice little heartwarming moment. And that was, and Piper just goes crazy. He's like, yeah, and he's, he's celebrating and he takes off. Uh, he takes off on one of the ring cards. If you remember, before his match with Adonis, he he jogs to the ring with to a, a massive ovation. But Pat was right there at ringside for Piper, so you see how all that tied together and ultimately both gentlemen would be, in later years, a part of the WWE Network original WWE Legends House and that's where uh, a lot of the individuals supposedly were a little shocked even though they all knew that Pat had come out free and clear that he was openly gay and Piper obviously knew that as well. Uh, Piper has then since passed on, of course. But if you look at everybody that was a part of that Legends House, just about everybody on that cast is no longer around. Uh, Howard Finkel passed away earlier this year. I mean, Gene Okerlund passed away at some point last year. Um, Roddy Piper a few years ago. Now Pat Patterson, and so Pat has an extensive, long career in this business that he will be sorely missed. The tributes are plenty. I made a mistake by saying that he had passed away from cancer you could say that ultimately it was a trigger due to the cancer that he was um, dealing with at the time he had also suffered from dementia Uh, he was suffering from dementia a slight case of it would start to ultimately uh, become a bit um, a bit more enhanced but Pat the official cause of his death was that he had passed away from a blood clot. Uh, He had passed away from liver failure due to complications of a blood clot. And you could say that the trigger was the cancer that he was dealing with in the same uh, area of his system. But Pat uh, had an extensive career. He had just... He had been a part of a lot of... um, uh, a lot of tough times in his life, you know. He was born into an impoverished French-speaking family in Ville Marie, borough, a uh, borough of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, on January nineteenth, nineteen forty-one. He began training. Re- he began. He began training to wrestle at the age of fourteen, at the Saint John, Baptiste. Patterson was raised as Roman Catholic and was an altar boy, and. He had ultimately started his career in Montreal in 1958 for promoter Silvio Sampson. He was known as Killer Patterson. He had then moved on to big time wrestling in 1962. Uh, He had immigrated to the United States to pursue his professional wrestling career. He uh, He had worked for Tony Santos, big time wrestling promotion in Boston while living and working in Boston. And he had then eventually met his longtime partner, uh, Louis Dondero, who would ultimately be basically with Pat throughout his life, and they were longtime lovers um, and longtime partners. Uh, Pacific Northwest Wrestling for three years, he was there. He was recruited by Magdod Vichon for Don Owens Portland, Oregon-based Pacific Northwest Wrestling promotion, a place that Roddy Piper had also gained a lot of his stardom with as well and had tremendous respect for don owens and pat had an extensive career there for a good three years he had held the nwa pacific northwest tag team championship on two occasions this is when pnw had uh, been still a part of the nwa collective and on october 2nd 1964 Patterson had defeated Pepper Martin for the NWA Pacific Northwest Heavyweight Championship. He held the championship for six weeks before losing to Martin. Patterson would won the championship again in 65 and 66. Then the two-year run in which he was a part of the Blonde Bombers, along with Ray Stevens and Bobby Heenan was their tag team uh, manager at some point, uh, including especially when they were in the AWA. Uh, Patterson was hired by Roy Shire for his San Francisco, California-based big-time wrestling promotion. At Shire's request, Patterson dyed his hair blonde to form a tag team with Ray Stevens, the Blonde Bombers. The tag team won the NWA World Tag Team Championships in 65 and again in 67. The Blonde Bombers were described by Bret Hart as considered by many to be the best tag team of the 1970s. I would concur he was also Uh, One of the, part of one of the greatest tag teams I had ever seen, period. They wrestled for the NWA, excuse me, Patterson in 68, had wrestled for the NWA Western States wrestling in Amarillo, Texas as Lord Patrick Patterson, winning the NWA North American Heavyweight Championship and NWA Brass Knuckles Championship. And then he embarked on a six-week tour of Japan facing Antonio Inoki, the Japanese legend, in a series of matches. Stevenson then would then later turn face in the late 60s. He had a feud with the heel Patterson, so they had culminated in a bunch of Texas death matches, in which Stevens ultimately c- claimed the title from Patterson. In 1970 and 71, Patterson wore a mask during his matches and would cheat by placing a foreign object under the mask to add power to his headbutts. In 72, Patterson turned face again after feuding with Lars Anderson. Who was managed by Dr. Ken Ramey later that year he tamed with the aforementioned jo- Rocky, Rocky Johnson and excuse me if you hear a little buzzing there <laughs> some of my alerts are going off again maybe we might get another one okay but as I continue Patterson had teamed with Rocky Johnson and won the Tag Team Championship. In 75 and 81, Patterson won the Cal Palace Battle Royal in San Francisco. He moved on to in 1977 to wrestle for Eddie Graham's Championship Wrestling from Florida. He won the NWA Florida Television Championship and the Florida Tag Team Championship and he also served as a booker. Now I had made mention of this a moment ago, that Patterson was also a part of the AWA at one point. For a good five years, he was in and out of the AWA doors. He had joined Vern Gagne's AWA as he had formed the Blonde Bombers with Ray Stevens, as I had mentioned before, and they had won the AWA World Tag Team Championship. Patterson performed intermittently for the AWA, as I mentioned, until 1983. He had also gone in 79 to tour Japan with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Lute du International, a company that I will talk more extensively about through the existence of this podcast, had made his professional return to Quebec in 1980, wrestling a number of bouts for the Montreal-based promotion, having held the Canadian International Tag Team Championship on five different occasions between 1980 and 83, and of course, we, we would then later know as his World Wrestling Federation, World Wrestling Federation and world wrestling entertainment career, being the North American champion, the intercontinental champion, his retirement. He had sporadic roles throughout the company. As I had made mention, if I did not mention it, he would come, uh, as a consultant after having been one of the longest tenured employees of WWF slash WWE to come in and work the spots and the layouts of the last few Royal Rumbles over the last few years. And he was, of course, if you were a fan and you grew up in the 90s and you were a part of the enormous, monstrous run of the Attitude Era where all companies were clicking at that time, WWF, ECW, WCW, and so on and so forth. He was known as a stooge along with Gerald Briscoe, which I was not a fan of because I always considered Patterson to be a very serious star in the business, and they were making, basically, light of him being a part of the upper echelon of Vince McMahon's inner circle. Wasn't a fan of the Stooge character, I wasn't a fan of it at all. He had become one of the oldest champions ever, winning the Hardcore Championship at age 78, Uh, you know, that, um, that ultimately, excuse me, yes, he had become one of the oldest uh, active Uh, Well, one of the oldest in history, in the the company's history, winning the 24-7 championship, excuse me, at 78 years old. I knew something wasn't right there. But anyway, Pat Patterson will definitely be missed. He, again, was a part of a lot of controversy, unfortunately, due to some allegations made to him, uh, made about him during the early 90s sex scandal and the ring boy scandal, as they called it at the time where Vince McMahon and company, including Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, Mel Phillips, were uh, accused of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, um, misconduct, all kinds of things of that nature. Patterson eventually was brought back to the company, and the rest was history. Uh, Mel Phillips, Terry Garvin never came back to the company. Terry Garvin ultimately would die from cancer, and Mel Phillips would Uh, ultimately be basically you could say blackballed from the business after that and later on uh superstar Billy Graham would then post on his Facebook a very nice tribute to Pat Patterson in which he also apologizes because Patterson was instrumental in helping superstar earlier on in his career and as superstar had put it was also uh Patterson was uh, the the individual who taught him uh, how to have good finishes in his matches including how to blade and um, having said that that was uh, ultimately leading to superstar uh, stating in his post that Patterson ultimately never never forgave uh, superstar for those allegations or those lies against Patterson Vince might have forgave him but Patterson did not because ultimately that's that's shit that doesn't wear off and doesn't doesn't just fall off of you now Patterson continued to work in the company and continued to be the genius mind that he would ultimately uh, be credited for along as being one of the best workers in the business but it's those one of those things that you kind of see as like a a black cloud that was being put over Patterson. Patterson was ultimately Declared, you know, completely innocent in the entire situation, but um, you know, Starr and his his allegations definitely did some damage there in the early 90s, and of course, his name was brought up a number of times during the infamous Phil Donahue show, where all the individuals that was um, alleging all these uh, these 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 serious bomb dropping allegations against WWF and Vince McMahon you know you see Vince sitting beside Dave Meltzer with his amazing looking hair (laughs) he had a mountain of hair in that in that particular episode and then superstar Bruno Sammartino uh, and some of the other individuals that were there including Barry O uh, the uncle of Randy Orton was there and uh, a number of other individuals that were alleging uh, these these um, very serious allegations. But Pat, you know, wore it off. And like I had made mention, if I didn't make mention of it, uh, you know, in his book not long ago had cleared up that he was never a part of any casting couch to get anyone a job. Uh, he was always considered to be very innocent, but always a target because of him being openly gay. So he was literally an open target because he was openly gay, but... You know, thankfully, Vince, the rest of the company and everybody else that worked with Pat knew that Pat was just nothing but a good worker, a a solid hand, a genius mind and was totally innocent. And he was with his longtime partner for the longest time. So Pat was considered not a cheat or anything of that nature. He was a straight up, you know, he was a man's man. You don't have to be heterosexual to be a man's man you could be gay and being a man's man and pat was a man's man and he will be sorely missed and that is all for now if you would like to read up more about pat Patterson, you could just do a uh, just a, a simple google search you can look on wikipedia you can look at some of the other wrestling websites about pat and his impact on the professional wrestling business and how he ultimately helped vince mcmahon and company become the juggernaut and the powerhouse that they are today. Uh, Of course, now we see that the struggles continue with WWE's ratings. Uh, You know, they can barely crack 2 million. But Pat was a part of bringing the company to the forefront. And he definitely left the business a much better place. And he will be sorely missed. Rest in paradise. Pat Patterson, one of the greatest of all time. We'll be back after these messages, a word from our sponsor. Amazon's Audible service is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to www.audibletrial.com slash radio and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash radio. That's www.audibletrial.com slash radio and get started today. Welcome back, everybody, to TFE Radio Wrestling, episode 6 for December 5th, 2020. I'm your humble host and narrator, James Strength Navarro. We are on our second segment, and we are going to get to the AEW at Winter is Coming on November 2nd. This was three days ago. This was a historic night because two major things that happened that night on AEW Dynamite on live television on TNT I was watching and bearing witness to what would ultimately become just they hit you with a uh, you know a two-piece you know like where I come from you you hit somebody with a two-piece that's a that's that's a you know one punch two punch right common combinations man let's get to the first thing that happened here as you heard at the top of this segment yes I was shocked. I, didn't, I did not feed into any rumors. I did not hear anything. Thankfully, I went into this completely blind. I had no idea. Completely blind and deaf towards this entire thing that had happened that ultimately led to one of the best moments I have seen in wrestling and one of the best moments I have seen in AEW's short but already illustrious historic one-year run. And that was during the aftermath of the tag team match that pitted Cody Rhodes and Darby Allin against powerhouse Will Hobbs and Ricky Starks. Who comes out to save the day? They had been touting and had been promoting For the longest time, for weeks on end, that this was going to be winter is coming, winter is coming. I thought, okay, it's a cool little tagline that they're adding to the show. They were promising that this was going to be the biggest dynamite of all time. Now, mind you, I'm not going to go into the entire card itself because you could always go back and check the replay. But there's the two things that just exploded on social media, wrestling social media in particular, was... Outcomes after you see it flashing on the screen, and they have like this faux snow coming from the sky, coming from the ceiling, wherever they were pumping it into the uh, venue, uh, Daly's place. All of a sudden, you see on the screen S T I N G. And I went, What the hell? What the hell? Yes, S-T-I-N-G stands for Sting. It spells out Sting. Yes, Sting walks out of all people. I had no idea that he was even in talks with AEW. I had no idea that he had officially been done with WWE. I had no idea. I kept myself completely away from any kind of news I know I do a podcast I'm supposed to be you know keeping up to date with these sort of things and bringing you the information but I wanted to be living that moment as a fan as a supporter of the wrestling business and saw Sting the icon walk out in his crow Sting outfit and walked out and a uh, thousand or so people that were in the venue In Daly's place and the wrestlers around the ring, everybody went apeshit. And the announce commentary team, Jim Ross, you know, Tony Schiavone, uh, man, they went crazy. Tony Schiavone said, it's Sting, and it just, wow, you heard the clip. It was phenomenal. It was amazing to see that the icon has returned to professional wrestling and he has started... A, what we then would later find out from Tony Khan announcing throughout the broadcast at the, towards the end of the broadcast mind you uh, that he had signed Sting to a long term contract with AEW. So Sting is now a part of the AEW and the graphics and everything have come out already. And I was seeing social media blowing up. I put it out there too on my social media, starting with Instagram and the reaction that I got because of my excitement and what I've seen here with this video and Sting coming out and I was watching it live but as soon as the video was put out there by AEW and their official social media I grabbed the video and I just put it up and just was like, holy shit, I did not see that coming. But again, you could go to my Instagram at TFE Navarro, all my other social media, you could see what I said. I was so excited, I was so happy. You know, it was good to see that AEW continues to build their roster, build their talent pool. You know, they're a house of legends, uh the stars from past, present, and future. They really do have it going on, man. And now with the addition of Sting, who was the backbone of WCW, who was the backbone of TNA wrestling, and, you know, he had his short run there with the WWE. Uh, Mind you, it could have been a lot more of a fruitful run. I just didn't think that they knew what to do with him. Again, it goes back to a number of things. In particular, they jobbed him out to Triple H at WrestleMania that year, which could have been just a lot... It could have been handled a lot more differently. Of course, we had the NWO and DX coming out, whatever. But it should have been Sting going over Triple H, not the other way around. And of course, ultimately, Sting got hurt during his match with Seth Rollins. um, And Sting was basically out of action. But it was just... An exciting moment. It, it really brought me back to being a professional wrestling fan again. Seeing Sting walk out and the reaction he got. Now mind you, if this was a full venue, you know that the place would have been rocking even more. But of course... know, For what it's worth, it was rocking with whoever was in attendance and the live audience, the commentating team put it over, Tony Schiavone in particular. It was just an amazing, amazing moment. And I am so happy that I got a chance to witness that. Now, I was on my phone doing something for the moment. And then when I look up and then I see what they were doing, I said the lights went out. All of a sudden, the video, everything, the lights go out, everything comes back up and here we see sting's name on the screen and then there you have it sting walks out and the rest is now history professional wrestling history the graphics everything had come out sting is now all elite you know the hashtag all elite you know how they do that whenever they sign someone officially to the company and i was like holy shit and they already had merchandise and everything set up so they already knew that they were going to do this so they said that this was going to be the biggest dynamite yet since they've been in business for the last year uh, on TNT uh, with their show and they already had merchandise they were already pumping it out there you know some cool merchandise too you know and Sting yes he is 61 years old yes he is but he does not look like he's 61 he does not look like he is 61 at all. He looks like he could get in there and he can go. He looks like he's in good shape and he's only going to get in better shape. So we're going to see Sting eventually being used as sort of like, uh, I would hope in a, in a way, sort of like how they were using The Undertaker. Now, mind you, Sting is older than The Undertaker. And isn't it kind of funny that Sting joins AEW free and clear as a free agent there was, I from what I understand, there was some rumors that he might have been talking to AEW. Again, he was a part of the um, the Starcast weekend a few uh, a year or two ago. So you know, if speculations always runs abound when a, a big big major star is a part of Starcast weekend, it's not supposed to be affiliated with or be a part of AEW, but it's a part of AEW's big weekends for All In and All Out and all this, but. Here we have Sting, now a part of the company. Isn't it funny that The Undertaker retires a few weeks ago, does his farewell in the WWE, and Sting shows up now in AEW. I guess Sting could not get his match with The Undertaker, because Sting, you know, wanted that for the longest time. You know, he had wanted it for the longest, longest time, and we we we, we had a very near miss with it. We had a near miss or hit, however you want to put it, when back in 2011 it was rumored would Sting rejoin TNA and re-sign with them or would he join the WWE and face the Undertaker and there was the tease graphics that was out there there was all kinds of things that we were seeing and the rumors went abound rampant and yet Sting re-signed with TNA and ended up being there for another 3 or 4 years uh, and then ultimately joining the WWE but uh, I guess we will never see this the Sting-Taker match. Uh, You know, they say in the business, never say never. They say in life, never say never. But it looks like it would never happen. So I guess, you know, Taker being done, Sting was like, that's it. I'm already done with WWE. I'm going to sign with AEW. This could be his last big contract. And, you know, the rest is history. It looks like now we're going to see Sting as a, a huge proponent of the AEW roster he's already made a very big impact we're going to see how the ratings uh we've seen how the ratings have been affected already um as AEW dynamite has once again defeated uh, at ww nxt in the ratings and we're gonna see what happens with sting being there of course it's a huge huge merchandising you know revenue that will come in from sting's likeness and him being you know the uh, the individual to authorize AEW making all this merchandise. They've already started. You know he's not even there for a couple of minutes on national television to the world being exposed that he's joined the company, and already they've got merchandise. So they're already capitalizing over their investment in signing the icon Sting. So this is a legendary moment. It was huge. I am very happy to see that Sting will be a part of the company, and they have just added yet another legend and another big name. Will Sting get in the ring? As I said, they will use him probably as the Undertaker, uh, in, in in their version of the Undertaker, and have him, you know, as a special feature attraction. Will Sting get in the ring regularly? No, I would hope not. Um, he seems to be very, um, very much in shape. Like he looks like he's ready. He looks like he's going to get in there and mix it up with some of the uh, individuals there. Uh, It looks like his first big feud is going to be with Team Taz. Uh, We'll see who he gets in the ring with. I could see him getting in the ring with Ricky Starks. Definitely. Ricky looks like he could definitely bump for the Stinger. Uh, there's a lot. There's an endless amount of matches that you could have in there. Sting against Cody Rhodes would be very, very interesting, being that Sting has a long history with the Rhodes family, in particular with, of course, Dusty Rhodes, and then later on with Dustin Rhodes as a part of the Dangerous Alliance program and the Sting squadron back in WCW War Games, Wrestle War 92. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what Sting uh, and what his affiliation with his signing To AEW entails and the historical significance of Sting signing and him being on TNT, as they made mention of how long it had been before he was on TNT last. Again, he was a part of the very last match, last official match on the last official broadcast of WCW Monday Night Nitro, when the WWF had already purchased and acquired them, and they did that split screen and they did that split. Uh, that split show and you know they did the storyline where Shane McMahon you know had supposedly had bought WCW and then they then kicked off the invasion angle this was the first time Sting was on TNT and at this point damn near well let's see uh Jeez, I mean, that was 2001, my math is terrible, by the way, as you all can kind of tell, just about 19 years, just about 19 years, going on 20 years. In March of next year, as we are approaching 2021 pretty fast, we are going to be approaching 20 years since Sting and WCW had gone out of business and Sting was in that last match against Ric Flair on the last broadcast of nitro so this was sting's first appearance on tnt since the final episode of wcw monday night nitro on march 26 2001 it was announced as i said during the show that sting had signed a multi-year contract with aew and aew has also began selling sting merchandise which as you saw in the broadcast super excited super super excited i cannot wait to to see what happens with Sting and what happens with some of the other individuals that will get in the ring with Sting. Um, I'm not going to be surprised and I'm going to put it out there right now because I saw what he looks like. He had posted up a, um, uh, now mind you, Sting has been posting up a lot of stuff about him now being a part of AEW on his social media. I follow Sting, so I see everything that he does and an AEW does as well. I get the notifications for everything, but I really think, I really think. Actually, you know what? We're gonna be back after this ma- after this quick clip. I want you to listen to. I'm going to end off with Sting is now a part of AEW officially. I was shocked. I was surprised like a lot of you. I'm super excited to see what the 61-year-old doesn't look like a 61-year-old Sting does with AEW. Listen to this next clip and I will get into what happened at the end of the main event of tonight. Of uh, excuse me, of three days ago's AEW Dynamite. So listen to this clip. We'll be back in one moment. Okay guys. Sir, what 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 did you just do? What's going on? What the hell's going on here? Find out this Tuesday night. Tuesday? Dynamite's on Wednesday. This Tuesday? Impact Wrestling on Access TV! Me and Kenny will tell you all about it, Marvin! What the hell? We've just been jobbed. Had, you been time. You did right we've been jobbed. Okay, so we are back. You heard the clip. Yes, the next big thing that happened on tonight's AEW. Excuse me, I keep saying tonight's AEW. I'm so excited. I feel like I just watched it. I mean, I did watch it again tonight, but it actually was three days ago. This is Saturday. That was on Wednesday night. So you heard the clip. It looks like, well, first, let's just backtrack a second Kenny Omega is your new AEW World Heavyweight Champion with an assist from his longtime friend, almost someone who's like his uncle to him. Impact Wrestling Executive, High Executive, Don Callis, as he throws the microphone to Kenny Omega and he knocks John Moxley on the head. He's already busted open, he goes for the uh, the one-wing angel, I believe it was, and then he pinned him one, two, three, and that was it. Kenny Omega becomes the AEW World Heavyweight Champion. Controversial fashion, we think, okay, that's it. But I was always wondering, I go, why was Don Callis doing commentating the last few weeks or the last little while and doing all this stuff with AEW? And now we found out, as you heard from the clip, they took off. Alex Marvez catches up with them and Don, as you heard there in the clip, says, we will explain everything on Tuesday and Alex says, Tuesday, AEW Dynamite is on Wednesday and then Callis further explains, Tuesday on Impact Wrestling, Access TV, we will explain everything and what's going on and they take off then i start to go they're doing an invasion angle like all of us figured out wow that is huge and it is a good shot in the arm for both companies in particular impact wrestling because they've got one of the most talented rosters in the business right now some of the most exciting action i try to watch it every tuesday I don't get particularly get a chance to watch it on Fridays, I always catch it via Twitch, their official Twitch channel, and Melissa Santos, who is Brian Cage's wife, uh, is the host in between the segments of the show, and I have been following Impact for some time, I've been watching them ever since they started back in June of 2002 when they were known as NWA TNA, and then TNA Wrestling, and then Impact Wrestling, which they are now, and They have, I think, their best roster to date right now, give or take a few big names, of course, some of the bigger names, including Sting himself, but they are at the top of their game, they just need more viewership, and the fact that AEW Dynamite damn near gets close to a million every week, and they blow WWE NXT out the water just about every week now, they pretty much have won the Wednesday Night War. It's going to be a huge, huge thing to have more viewership to impact wrestling. As I pull my chair up a little bit closer to the microphone here, get a little bit more cozier It is going to be a huge thing to have impact, have more eyes on their product by way of this invasion with AEW now. The amount of talent that AEW and Impact Wrestling have exchanged, and can exchange right now, it brings me to a point I must make immediately right now. Now, number one, just to backtrack, Moxley is no longer AEW World Champion. He had a nine month plus run. He won the title at the end of February of this year, just before the COVID had hit. He had defeated Chris Jericho. He had held on to that title for nine months, nine months and some change. Kenny Omega is now the AEW world champion. He is now the third champion in the company's history. Chris Jericho held that title for about six months or so, six, seven months, dropping it to Jon Moxley, holds it for about nine months, we may see Kenny Omega holding on to that title for a long time to come. He is considered the best bout machine, as he's always announced. As he has come back and reverted back to his cleaner uh, version of Kenny Omega, his his character, and now he's with Don Callis, someone who his uncle, the Golden Sheik, had trained, uh, and Callis had then, as he had made mention, um, he you know he had trained, uh, been trained by uh kenny's uncle and then had met a 10 year old kenny omega and has never looked back since being friends being like a sort of like a father figure uncle you know nephew type of thing and with the kickoff of this invasion and the the excitement that i've seen so far with uh, some of the other youtubers uh in particular salt monster as i saw his um his live chat that night uh, when uh, AEW Dynamite had gone off the air and the excitement in the chat with all the people saying, this is going to be a big thing, this is exciting, you know, this, that, and the dirt, and like, all the possibilities, all the scenarios, all the different matches that they could have. I saw at some point a post, I believe it was the same night, or maybe it was li- earlier on that day, I'd have to check back again, but it was very close in proximity to when this invasion or this this tease of an invasion angle or you could even say the tease of, of the purchase of uh, Impact Wrestling from AEW. I saw Kurt Angle making a post on his Instagram. He had put up a post. He make He made a post and he put it up, excuse me, he put up the post and he looks incredible. He looks like he slimmed down and he looks like he has been wrestling for the last 10 years, just kicking ass and taking names. And when I saw this invasion angle kick off tonight, again, when I watched the replay, that's why I keep saying tonight. When I watched the replay, just to refresh, you know, and, and sort of go back and grab some clips from the actual show When I see Kurt and I see this invasion from Wednesday night as I said I watched it again tonight Saturday and then I see Kurt had posted up on his social media I, I am not opposed and I would not be surprised at either Impact or AEW signing Kurt Angle as an active in-ring performer. I am not against that. Kurt seemingly has looked like he has shaken off the ring rust. He has shaken off the injuries that he had suffered uh, during his last little run there in WWE. I would not be opposed as that. Again, as long as they book him properly. And immediately, I thought... This would be huge. Kurt had been teasing on his Instagram that he was going to make a return or that he was getting in shape to make a return. Of course, he has done some some endorsement-type uh, deals with a number of individuals. I believe one of them was with Mike Tyson and um, I believe Chavo Guerrero, if I'm not mistaken. But he looks like he's about to get in that ring, and I think he's going to either, and don't be surprised if he winds up either back with Impact Wrestling, where he actually had spent most of his career, or he ends up in AEW. Now, if they do this invasion angle, and they do it right, we may actually finally see a match that I had always been wondering, what would it be like to see these two legitimate badasses in and out of the ring, these two legitimate shooters, to see TNA, to see a TNA, an NWA TNA wrestling original, and Impact Wrestling Hall of Famer Ken Shamrock in the ring with WWE Hall of Famer and TNA Impact Wrestling Hall of Famer Kurt Angle. I think they could put on an entertaining match. They might shoot on each other a little bit if they're not careful, but I would love to actually see that. I think it's still got marquee value on it. Ken looks like, yes, he is older, but he looks incredible shape. Kurt looks like he's incredible shape. So don't be surprised if you see Kurt Angle making his appearance for either one of the companies, if not for both, and back as an in-ring performer. It would be a monumental moment to see Kurt back in a ring that is not the WWE. I think they did not handle his return well. I think they did not handle his 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 career ending there well. You know Baron Corbin. No offense to him, but he was not the person I would have liked to have seen gone over. Angle in his final match at Wrestlemania. It should have been. It should have been. John Cena. Or it could have been. You know Angle going over. In his last match. His retirement match. But I don't think Kurt is done. I think Kurt is going to join. Either Impact or AEW. Let the rumors start. From now. I'm sure it will happen. I don't see him going back to WWE at all. After especially how. They treated him in this last run. They did put him in the Hall of Fame, thankful enough. They did put him in the big match with him and Ronda Rousey against Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. But I mean, other than that, they did have him winning some of his last matches before he ultimately put over Baron Corbin at WrestleMania a year or two ago. I do think that Kurt does have a lot of gas left in the tank. As long as he's booked properly and he... Maybe tries to wrestle a bit more of a um, a less intense style. I think his longevity in the business could ultimately turn out to be almost like a Shawn Michaels comeback. You remember when Shawn got hurt, he was out for four and a half years. He came back and he ended up ultimately having arguably his greatest run in the business as a solo performer. So, Kurt coming back, I see that happening. Don't be surprised. It was either going to be with Impact or AEW. I don't see it happening with anyone else, especially the WWE. But anyhow, we will stay tuned and watch Impact as I do. Every Tuesday, I will watch very much with a close, interested eye and see what the explanation is, what promo is being cut by Don Callis and Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega will be from my knowledge, the first contracted AEW star to appear on Impact Wrestling. So this is going to be quite the interesting tale that AEW and Impact tell to you and myself, the listener, the follower, and the supporter and fan of both companies. I'm very much looking forward to this, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Sting has joined. Kenny Omega kicks off the invasion with Don Callis of Impact Wrestling and vice versa. And we'll see what happens. Having said that, we will be back with our next segment, which will be actually, usually it would be our, well, it would usually be our third and final segment, but we're coming back. We have a couple more to go. We'll be back after these messages. A word from our sponsor, TFE Radio Wrestling. The title is very much living up to its name. The death of a legend, the return of an icon, and the new invasion. But there is more to this show. Stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. I would say it's probably going to be our third and final segment, but really our fourth segment. Anyway, you know what I mean. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back after these messages. Why Amazon's Audible? Amazon's Audible content includes more than 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Be sure to use our unique URL at www.audibletrial.com slash radio to get started today. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our jam-packed TFE Radio Wrestling Episode 6 for Saturday, December 5th, 2020. Once again, I'm your humble host and narrator, James Strength Navarro. I hope that you are enjoying this particular episode. It is jam-packed. It's one of our most jam-packed episodes to date. There's a lot to talk about, big headlines in the wrestling industry, both from The side of Pat Patterson's passing and of course Sting joining AEW and Kenny Omega winning the AEW World Heavyweight Championship the same night as Sting's debut and also kicking off the invasion angle of AEW versus Impact Wrestling. Before I get to the throwback match of the week, if you had heard in the first segment, if you had listened and paid attention, I was going to have a throwback match of the week that involves the aforementioned legendary Pat Patterson, who passed away a number of days ago. But before I get to that, there is the rumors going around that the WWE performers are reportedly frustrated with one Bruce Prichard. I'm going to be honest, I've never been a big fan of Bruce Prichard at all. I've always thought that he was a corporate ass kisser, even when he was not working for WWE anymore. I think that he was always just trying to kayfabe everybody still and would always just basically toe the corporate line as he was always a part of the upper echelon inner circle of Vince McMahon's, which also included Pat Patterson. I just never felt that Bruce was... Again, I'm getting into a personal commentary. I don't got nothing against him. I've never met him personally, I just always thought that he was just a corporate ass kisser. I just thought that he was always Vince's, you know, um, I think he always just played, he played up this this idea that he was, this. it wasn't just an idea, but it was more like, it is what it is. Like, are you Vince's mouthpiece? Like, you know everything that Vince was thinking? I mean, ultimately, you could argue a lot of the things that he has said throughout the last little while, the last few years, including on his podcast along with Conrad Thompson. But, you know, arguing that the Red Rooster and the Dusty Rose gimmicks were, you know, phenomenal. Oh, come on. When they were in the WWF, they were made to be jokes. Dusty ran with it and Terry... Taylor tried to make the best of it. But anyway, that's neither here or there at the moment. Bruce Pritchard is someone I'll talk about more in detail as time goes on. I'm not the biggest fan of him. I still don't understand what he has really been able to contribute to this business aside from the Brother Love character at one point. And, you know, the reincarnations of it whenever they would need to have him, you know, put on the red lobster face and then do the whole Brother Love, you know, ridiculous gimmick. But... I did like it at one point. I I started to feel like it was annoying, but I'm not sure. I know that he was a booker behind the scenes, and he was a part of a lot of the big offices in some of the other territories, including with, um, with, um, I believe it was with Bill Watts, and obviously he was with, I think, in the Texas territories with, um, Tully Blanchard's father, Joe Blanchard, and I believe with, uh, Fritz von Eric and the WCCW. Again, his history is somewhat known to myself, but I know that he has been, spent most of his life, most of his wrestling career in the WWF, now known as the WWE. But apparently a lot of individuals are very, very, very down on his booking, his, uh, the morale that he's bringing to the locker room right now. WWE performers are reported to have told a publication that there's a lot of heat on Bruce Pritchard backstage. Now, I've made mention now that I do not like Bruce Pritchard, so I, I don't care for him. I can't like someone I, I don't know. But the stories and what I've seen and what I've gathered are enough to form an opinion about him. But in case... I sound like I'm hating on him. I'm not hating on him. I don't hate on anyone. I'm just stating the facts of how he comes across to me. From what I see, what I've seen in the shoot interviews, what I've seen when I've listened to when he does his podcast and whatever, I'm just not a fan of him. I think that there are better and bigger minds in this business and people who have done a better job than him. I don't know again specifically what job he's really done. Uh, I know that he's had a hand in the backstage, um, in the inner workings of the business. I'm not entirely sure what he has really done. But I will tell you that he is no Pat Patterson. He is no Paul Heyman. He is no J.J. Dillon. He is no no Kevin Sullivan. He is no Jim Cornette. That, I can tell you that for sure. He is no Eric Bischoff, for that matter. I know Eric Eric has said some things about Bruce, but he has now got a good relationship with him, apparently. Especially after his last run, um, he had, at some point, had some interaction more with Bruce. And being that they're under the Conrad Thompson network of podcasts, I guess they've developed somewhat of a relationship, a close relationship now. But ultimately, anything that happens in the shows and the pay-per-views that has Bruce's involvement and his writing abilities or style. Whether it comes across good or not, it, it ultimately, it does not come down to Bruce. And I will give him this. It does not come to Bruce and his last word because we know who the last word will always go to as long as he's still alive and breathing and he still continues to be the workhorse that we know him to be. Vince McMahon is the one and only person that has the final say in anything that goes along with the programming and the storylines of the company. What they put out on TV, the pay-per-views, anything to do with the matches and the booking, the writing, the just everything that involves that is ultimately Vince's final say. Bruce has the ear of Vince McMahon. He's always been there. Bruce has been fired. He's been rehired. He's come back, whatever the case may be. But ultimately, Vince has always kept him very close to him. Vince has his ear, of course, and Bruce has his ear. But it is ultimately Vince McMahon that is the one that says yes, or as we say, yay or nay to something. But Bruce convinces. He has more of a convincing approach to getting Vince to agree to things that he does in his booking and his writing but apparently there is some heat on Bruce backstage that he may seemingly be a little bit out of touch much like how they accused Eric Bischoff of being which was uh, you know sort of admitted by Eric and a number of individuals but especially Eric uh, Paul Heyman who had been a bit more in tune with the product you uh, having been with the company back since he returned in 2012 with Brock Lesnar. But Bruce is somewhat out of touch from what we can see and what we, what we know. You know, faction heavy. You know, the revolution has not... Uh, uh, or the evolution, whatever you want to call them. They're not exactly getting over like Gangbusters. Some of the writing, the ratings are down. But somebody's head has to roll when it comes to this sort of thing, right? Right. So Bruce is the one who's getting the heat. But ultimately, again, the decision is laid upon the lap of Vince McMahon to push forward storylines. So stars are frustrated with Bruce. You know, Bruce is the one who has to put together a lot of uh, a great deal of the writing for both Raw and SmackDown and then say alright this is what you're doing and lay it out for the talent and if they don't like it which seems to be the, the problem right now then they ixnay or in the case of what Bruce does he will still push forward the storylines and we see, start to see a lot of talent sort of uh, getting pushes being halted or them falling by the wayside Now, we'll see what happens with Bruce, if he's going to continue to be a part of the major storytelling of the programs and the business of the WWE. Or if he's going to fall by the wayside, much like Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman ultimately did. We will see. Having said that, let's get to our final segment within the segment, our final installment, our final segment, whatever you want to call it. God damn it, it's been a jam-packed show. Let's just talk about the throwback match of the week. It had been a few decades since I last saw this particular match. And I am so glad I got a chance to see it, especially with the untimely passing of Pat Patterson. This comes to us from WWF Madison Square Garden, a sold-out Madison Square Garden from September 24th 1979 Pat Patterson had already been declared the winner of the fictitious which we now know throughout the decades as the fictitious Rio de Janeiro WWF crowning of the Intercontinental Champion its first Intercontinental Champion and in a fictitious final victory over Johnny Rods another WW Hall of Famer Pat Patterson who does not come to the ring with the title, the Intercontinental Championship, and is not even made mention on commentary, as Vince McMahon Jr. is on commentary and does not speak about it. But Pat is challenging then WWF World Heavyweight Champion Bob Backlund to a steel cage match. This match was roughly about 20, under 20 minutes long. Uh, the actual in-ring and uh, the entrances, the in-ring, uh, the, the entrances were not too long. They just basically just, it was a couple seconds long. Pat Patterson enters the ring first. Then ultimately, uh, Arnold Scoland leads to the ring. Paul uh, uh with the WWF Championship in tow. And the two gentlemen immediately start to brawl and get it on in the ring. A lot of punches, a lot of brawling went on in this match. Very few little wrestling matches with these two gentlemen will have them brawling. But it was a steel cage match. This was the fourth time in a row that these two gentlemen had gotten in the ring. This was their fourth consecutive match at Madison Square Garden. It was the only time a heel was brought back four times in a row to challenge the champion. The crowd, you could tell there was nothing altered with what I saw this video. I had saw the original video, which is what I saw before starting this show. Nothing was altered. The crowd was already in a frenzy. Both men started their way down the aisle. There was no referee inside the cage. There was no pinfalls. It was only to end the match to escape over the cage or through the door and it was very entertaining it was very dramatic both men got color if you notice if you were to go and watch this match the camera it was almost like a PG-13 version that we see today but the camera stayed in more of a wide shot with both gentlemen in the ring now mind you Give or take, you could say that's how they shot a lot of their matches back in the late 70s, early 80s, into the mid-80s with the WWF. But they kept the camera pretty, pretty wide shot for the most part on both gentlemen. And you got a chance to see, you you could tell that they had gotten both color at one point throughout the match. Both gentlemen did get color. They definitely whipped the crowd into a frenzy as both gentlemen tried to climb over the cage as they were trying to do for most of the match. And there was was a moment there where Pat had actually a pair of brass knuckles in his hand that he had pulled out from his trunks. And as he's hanging on to the top of the cage there, and Backlund had met him up there, he's trying to hit him, and Backlund just keeps elbowing him, elbowing, elbowing him. Now, mind you, both gentlemen are, are, you know, considered shooters uh, in their career Backlund being an amateur champion and you know being a strong man and patterson having you know being one of the toughest men ever in the business himself and he doesn't get enough credit for being such you know he's always credited for his mind and of course you know being a great worker in the ring one of the best ever but both men really did not pull out all they, they pulled out all the stops. They did not pull any punches. They were literally punching each other. I mean work punches of course. Um it got even more dramatic once they had gotten color and the fans were just going ape shit. You know, this was the time where Madison Square Garden was the mecca of professional wrestling, in particular the WWF, which was predominantly a New York based company before they became the big expanded uh, company that had taken over worldwide and ultimately had uh, you know put out other wrestling companies out of business but both gentlemen uh, put on a great show I was really thoroughly entertained in re-watching this like I I have watched this you know years ago you know when they would splice in old matches on old Coliseum home video uh, from the WWF's offerings back in the early 80s early uh, late to mid 80s. Uh, early 90s um, I mean what can I really say about this except for the ending ends where the two gentlemen now are trying to keep it to not going over the top this time but they're now clamoring and battling and brawling each other to try to get out the front door of the cage get out the door of the cage now it ends where Backlin is kicking Patterson in the chest you know both again have color and they're fighting to exhaustion now the match wasn't that long it was about 15 16 minutes long if a little bit give or take a little bit longer than maybe 16 minutes or so and the match ends where Backlund retains the wwf world heavyweight championship by kicking patterson one last time and pat goes backwards and as he kicks he does the big kick Backlund goes backwards as the door is open and he falls down the ringside steps, and the crowd goes apeshit crazy. Arnold Skollin is there with the world title. Uh, The fans go nuts. The announcement is made, the graphic comes up, Backlund is the winner of the match, you can see Pat Patterson's in the ring and he's having a conniption, he's in shock and he's just screaming and carrying on, but it was just great heat, Pat was an amazing heel, he was an amazing heel, absolutely, he looked in incredible condition, Backlund was in incredible condition, he was in in the midst of his six year run as the champion. You know, give or take, if you remember, too, he ultimately was, in that six years, two-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion, having lost the title to Antonio Inoki at one point in Japan, and then, you know, it was then later recognized. But Backlund is actually a three-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion, not a two-time, a three-time. Of course, we know in the uh, new generation era in 94, he would ultimately become the WWF World Heavyweight Champion in a classic match, classic submission match with Bret Hart at the WWF Survivor Series 94 that year. So Backlund uh, retains the title and Pat would end up uh, continuing on his career and going to the different territories as I had made mention earlier in the first segment of this show and uh, the rest was history. And I had a great time watching this. This was a just an amazing match. It wasn't a v- absolutely long match, but it was very entertaining to see the two gentlemen just brawling it out. This was the blood feud. This was supposed to be the culmination of their feud. As I said, this was the fourth consecutive time that these gentlemen had faced each other and fourth consecutive match at Madison Square Garden. And it ends with Backlund winning the program overall, defeating the legendary uh, Pat Patterson. So that's it for me. Uh, And again, if you would like to see this match, you can find it somewhere on the WWE Network. You could find it somewhere on some of your old WWE uh, DVDs. Uh, From my research here, they have the complete version of the match from the... It's on the 2011 WWE Greatest Cage Matches of All Time DVD. And there's a shorter edited version from the 2003 Bloodbath DVD. So I would suggest to watch the the full match. I mean, again, the match is not that long, so I don't know why they would edit it down for the 2003 Bloodbath DVD, but watch the longer version because it's only about, the video itself overall in total is just under, it's about 19 minutes, 46 seconds. It's, it's It's about 20 minutes or just a little bit under, but the match itself is about 16, 17 minutes, something like that, so you know. Watch the longer version and you'll be thoroughly entertained. And that is it for the throwback match of the week. I am your humble host and narrator, James Strength Navarro, signing off for this jam-packed edition of TFE Radio Wrestling Episode 6. We have covered all the newsworthy, the biggest things in the wrestling business right now. Join us back here next week. And again, if you would like to donate to yours truly and my company to keep this company and everything that we provide for you as free as possible until we can uh, start selling you guys some merchandise and you can help us out that way too, You can use our unique URL for both Amazon's Audible service. You know how that goes. You heard the commercials throughout the entire show. And of course, you can use our PayPal link where the link is used to, uh, uh, you could donate your money to me. It will go directly to me and I will then appropriate that money to um, what I would need for the company. New equipment, uh, keeping this show as free as possible for you, the listener, and of course, getting into the digital TV that we'll be doing, uh, hopefully very soon, and of course, all the self-published books, uh, all the things that we're going to be doing, all the big things, and of course, ultimately doing the uh, the modeling photo shoots and the modeling calendars, the music, the CD, uh, the CDs, the uh, the MP3s of music, uh, the fashion the promotions once the pandemic is open we could do some live events and production uh you know as you know in case i haven't made a mention of it TFE empire king productions is the production side of things that is handling the production of this very show and every show under the TFE radio network and the web and graphic designing and everything else that we got going on uh it helps if you monetarily help us And it will be used for the company as we are funded by you, the people, as we are for you, the people. And if you're not able to help us monetarily, join us on social media. You could do if and or all of it. You know, you could do this or you could do that or you could do all of it. And that includes you can joining us on social media. Again, my birthday comes up in three days. On Tuesday, I turn the wonderful age of 42. I do not feel 42, but I am turning 42. So don't be afraid to say happy birthday to yours truly on my social media at T-F-E Navarro. That's T-F-E-N-A-V-A-R-R-O on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or you could just look up James Navarro. You could join my company on social media as well. It's myurls.com slash TFE worldwide. That's everything social media wise and everything about us online. You could go to that link. I'm fixing it up right now as we speak. And also, you could just go directly to these links if you don't go to that link. And you could join us at TFE worldwide on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Look up TFE, the franchise entertainment, on LinkedIn. And that's it. And, of course, let me just go back for a second. If you want to donate, Navarro is our unique URL PayPal link if you would like to donate. And that's it. And before I get out of here, I just want to make mention once again that I had made the announcement last week. We are, in fact, all over... As you already know, 60-plus platforms, including, just announced last week, Amazon Music. As we are on Amazon Music's podcast platform to the countries in which Amazon Music is available right now, as they continue to add more countries, Canada will be eventually added as well. I will be getting the updated list as time goes on, and I will then be updating all of you and letting you know Whatever country you live in, whatever state you live in, this is where it's available. But the country so far is everywhere in the United States, Brazil, Japan, Mexico, uh, Germany, and the UK. There you have it. Six countries. But if you don't listen to us on Amazon Music, their platform for podcasting, we are all over the internet, all over the world, regardless We are everywhere and all you have to do is just download, share, subscribe, whatever you may do as long as you're listening to us and you enjoy what you hear. Continue to support us and we'll be back here next week and I will report back to you how my birthday went right here on this very show and all the other shows under the TfU radio network and that's it for me everybody it is an exciting time in the wrestling business please everyone be safe have a great week i will come back and tell you how my birthday went it will be a covid birthday that's for sure but i'm still looking forward to it regardless so that's it have a good night everyone bye for now